Welcome to the Game Changes for Good podcast. I'm Wahoo and this is a podcast where I interview notable and innovative game changers whose work has great social impact. In each episode, I will talk to guests who have in some way changed the game in their field of work, inciting impactful social change. All in the hope to understand who they are, why they do what they do, and by the end of the episode, besides learning about the beliefs and experiences that shapes them, we are also able to tease out their strategies, tips, their secret sauce to being a social impact practitioner. So sit back, relax, and let's jump into our episode today. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Giving Hub. Have you ever wondered how to maximize the money you donate to charity? Or if there are any other ways besides giving money that can more effectively help out a charity? Have you ever asked where you can find a charity that is effective in what they do to maximize your contribution? Giving Hub is an online platform to help you manage your charitable giving. You can choose to give to a non-profit organization, a social enterprise, or a charitable project created by volunteers. You can also give in the form of money or volunteer your professional skills to a matching charitable organization. The Giving Hub platform aims to help you give more effectively and to the most impactful organization. Visit the platform to find out how you can do this at www.givinghub.asia. This is part three of a three parts interview. Uh, okay, back to back to your focus on children, right? I have read in a past interview that you mentioned that you knew that you want to work with children from a very young six age. Six years old. From six years old. Yeah. How did that happen? Oh, God. So I wanted to be a teacher since I was six. And the reason I wanted to be a teacher was when I was six years old. I wasn't even seven, but I was in standard one. I got into trouble with a teacher in school. For, I, wasn't, I was very ambitious, I guess, you know, but I wasn't first, second, or third in class. And I did very badly in my midterm exams. And I was very scared to show my report card to my mom. So I got a standard two kid to forge my signature, which, of course, I got busted. Um, and I was the monitor of the class, yeah? So I got caught getting someone else to forge the signature and had my bow taken off in front of the whole class. And the teacher told everyone how I, I got someone to forge, which I thought was wrong because it was about humiliating me and it wasn't about teaching me a lesson. And I thought that was wrong. And I was six. So then I swore that if I, I was going to be a teacher, and I actually told her this. Hmm. I said, when I grow up, I'm going to be a teacher and I'm not going to be like you. So that's how wow, it started. For, for six years old. <laughs> I was to, rebellious. To have yeah. that. Yeah, right. but at fear, yeah. yeah. Wow, that's an amazing story. So that's how, and I was determined to be a teacher. So I actually went to teach, I went to Columbia, uh, yeah, I went to teachers college to become a teacher, but I never ended up talking. I went into non-profit instead. Give us a summary of, uh, you know, all the things that you've been doing for the last couple of years. Okay, so I've always been child-centered, child activist, working on child rights, child protection, so working on issues of baby selling and anti-trafficking and, and it, you get entrenched and you see what happens, right? So a lot of the work that I do is an impact because they have no birth cert or because they're poor or because their parents aren't educated or because they have no access to a lot of things. So legal age, you know, voice of the children, one of the co-founders, a voice of the children, et cetera, and all this stuff is because of that. So a lot of it is because of the impact of knowing because the children are from childcare and this whole stigma and discrimination you know, kids against Rohingya and refugees coming in, etc., and refugees, migrants, etc. So you sort of do the work because it's there. But then, of course, 
the, the, the issues are much bigger than, than KL or Chowkit. It's much bigger than Malaysia. They're international issues that are affecting so many children. So we talk about things like child trafficking, that's like 2.2 million children trafficked a year, you know, 76% of sexual abuse, 24% is commercial exploitation. You know, you talk about um, the issue on foundlings and statelessness. You talk about childhood statelessness, what happens when you, you teenage pregnancy happens and you dump your child, right? This is what happens, and you sell babies and organ harvesting, et cetera. But then, of course, the, you know, and this was my focus. Like, I don't work with children. I don't do anything. But, you know, over the years, you realize you can't work with children. We don't work with parents, um, and child protection has to happen with the parents and the families and the communities. So the work sort of become bigger. And then the pandemic happened mm. and people had no food. And you see how that impacts children and sort of move towards looking at community needs and resilience, looking at food distribution. Then I got to be on the National Recovery Council as the, as the rep for civil society. And I brought up food and I brought up health. And you can see... Yeah, everybody's like, oh, those issues were there before that. I said, yeah, but it's exacerbated by the pandemic and the fact that there are policies that affect children and communities, and it's much worse. And if you think this is not going to impact you, it will. I don't just work with non-Malaysian children. I, I work with marginalized children. I work with not just poor children. I work with marginalized poor children whose families are there for generations and generations and generations. And you're saying it's not our problem. It's very much your problem. And it's very much affected by policies. So you get into the activism, the advocacy. I never called myself an activist, ever. I called myself an advocate. And then someone said, you're not an advocate anymore because you got very angry. And activists bang their hands on the table, and you've been doing that a lot. And so I thought, oh, okay, okay, I'm an activist. I, I think just we, are, we, are, we are playing both roles, right? Mm. Depending on the situation, the situation and context. I do want to double-click on this one area that you mentioned, which is uh, during the pandemic, there's a lot of uh, needs on the ground about we all know, were doing basic it. things like you know food yeah. and all that, right? Yeah. And I've I know that you've been dealing with a lot of requests. Ooh, um, you should see my phone. Yeah, can you tell us a bit about that? How many requests do you get like uh, during those days, and do you still get, I get so much? I got two hundred to three hundred food, please, a day, every single day. Yeah, I'd start at four o'clock in the morning, I finish at eleven o'clock at night. Just and this finishing. is during the pandemic. This or is during is the it pandemic. Still true now. It's still true now, but not three hundred. But I get about ten, twenty a day, every mm. day. Every time I give one, it spreads. And the reason is because apparently my name is in the surahs of every the poor villages in Malaysia. My name is on Facebook posts, and everybody calls me. And when I cannot fulfill because I don't have that much funds or resources or contacts to be able to double check or triple check or verify, they get mad at me. And when they, it's not even they get mad at me. People die. Uh. People are dying. And and you know, and they're like, oh, and you know, they should, the first question shouldn't be are they Malaysian or not. The first question should be. Why are they dying? Why aren't we asking the right questions? So you deal with so many requests. Mm. And there's this, I think it happens quite often, but there's this one social media post that I remember from um, a very recent. It's about this case where there's a mother who has been messaging you, trying to ask for help. And because there's so many cases that you have to deal with that you couldn't, help her again and again. So Her baby died. And her baby died. Yeah. I want to try and understand how do you deal with cases like this? What do you do to handle this kind of stress? And, you know, do you have a, 
a formula, I, a routine that you go. Because what I see is that right after that, you will go and do more and continue. That's the guilt part. I definitely suffer from the savior complex as well. I'm sure I do. Because I don't have a formula. Um, I, when you ask if I have, I give. But, and if you ask twice or three times, I understand because you know what? The pandemic has gone on for two and a half years. Um, you can't give one food basket, one mm. you know, donation or whatever it is and think, that's it, your job is done. Because you know what? The next week they're going to be hungry. I get that. The frustration I felt in that case was so painful because the baby died. And it was so simple. It was 22 ringgit, 80 cents for lactogen. And I didn't give it because I didn't have the money to give. And because I thought I had given three times or four times and I, I couldn't, I just didn't have it. I didn't have it. And I blocked her. I think that was the part. I didn't leave the channel open. And so she, te- con- she contacted me on someone else's phone and told me her baby died. And the guilt you feel because it really wasn't that much. But I didn't have it. I emptied my own bank account like so many times. It's ridiculous, right? And, and like I said, I, have, I don't have a clear distinction between my personal and work life. Everything is about children. And so I felt really, really, really bad. So I actually ended up paying for the funeral. That one, I think, someone else paid. I don't know anyway. Someone paid for the funeral and I paid for something. How do I deal with the trauma? I cry. I'm always that. Then I think I'm just resolved to do more. You have to do better, lah. You know, so you don't feel, you remember that pain and that guilt. And I, I just, I think because I'm so used, I, I, don't, I want to avoid that pain and guilt again. So do more, do more, do it's, better. Yeah, it's definitely not, you know, only story or unique story in you know, what you've experienced. I've, I've heard you talk about many different cases uh, so which are more. similar. Yeah. And I'm just very, very uh, inspired by how you can come back and always have that attitude of more needs to be done. You know what? Someone was sitting next to me last week and I was talking about, you know, doing this whole food, food distribution thing where, you know, I'm trying to get everyone to come in and really there's no time for politics or I don't like that person. I don't like it. Just everybody has to do all hands on that, right? So I'm trying to figure out this whole system. So I was telling this friend of mine, I was like, you know, this is what we're doing. And it's like, are you sure it's going to work? And I was, actually, I was actually shocked. And I was shocked that I was shocked because, because I just stared at my friend and I was like, what do you mean? And he's, he's like, I'm jaded already. And I thought, but, but we don't have time to be jaded. We don't have time. We can't be jaded. We can't because you know what? So many more people need us. And if we give up and what's going to happen, you, you just cannot, this is not the time. I'm sorry, I cannot be jaded. I have to do it. I don't know. And maybe that's the whatever, but really I'm like, no. I, I do you get see, it, right? I, I get it. I get it. I do see that this is one of the main difference between people who do this work and continue doing this work is that whatever setbacks and uh, all this very traumatic experience, very stressful experience that they go through, what come out of it is always there's more to be done. Yeah. I can do better. Yeah. And we continue. Yes, because, because you... Not, t- the work stops, right? Exactly. And yeah. you know what? When you decided to do the work, when I decided to do the work, it was a promise, right? And a promise I made to people who I want to help and promise I made to myself that this is what I want to do. Because we have choices to do other things, but I chose to do this. So I have to fulfill my responsibility. And the whole with privilege comes responsibility takes on a different 
meaning for me, which is you have the privilege of being able to go into other people's world who are suffering and they get to share your story and you're sharing this with the rest of the world, which is a privilege. And that comes with responsibility. So I failed. I failed that person. So I, I need to learn from that lesson and try to do better. I mean, I don't know. It sounds warped, but that's how I think. I think it's really important. Um, right, but to, that's to how I that. think. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I agree. I agree. I totally Yay. agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not weird. <laughs> you are not. I mean, I, I guess uh, all of us are weird, right? Who for do, for doing this, all of us are weird in in a in a way. Yeah, and that's good. Uh, it has its advantages. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely, uh, you know, it resonates weird, with you, right? Yeah, We're on yeah, the same wave. I have that weird kind of thinking as well. Yeah. Now, okay, so from here, I want to go into some of the some of these capabilities that you have, right? Some of the abilities that you have, which are quite uncommon. And I'm always trying to learn from. So, oh, you want to learn from of me? Of course. Yeah, <laughs> no lah. You, you are Yoda. I am just like baby Yoda. Not so, even Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I want to focus on a couple of areas. Uh, uh, these, are, these are things uh, which I feel that you're really good at. You're at a class of your own in, in doing things like this. One of it is being able to build such a big network of supporters mm. of your work, mm. right? Whether in terms of funding or partnerships, because I see it happen again and again that mm. you have a lot of uh, different ideas you're working on mm. and you're working with different people. Mm. So how do you build this network? You are, for me, you are a world-class network builder. Seriously, yes. Why are you looking at me like that? Like what? Seriously, like, um, I, I would really you know, want to ask you, how do you come to build such a big and diverse network? To support your work. I didn't go out to plan. I actually like children more than adults. I don't know. And they, it sort of happens. And I think for me, people have it wrong. You don't build communities with the adults. You build communities through the children. And if you gain the trust of children, the children will tell other children, will tell their parents, will tell other people. And I think that trust and that reputation is what's gotten me this far in terms of looking at the network that you're saying, talking about here um, in Malaysia. And because, you know, I have friends from different, you know, I've gone through these different social stratas because of different experiences. I think I've met so many different people. And, you know, the world in child protection is very small, yeah, but it's sort of expanded, which gives me encouragement. It's because it doesn't include just children. It includes communities and it includes the corporates and the very people who care about children and about communities and about poverty. And nobody understands, I guess I'm lucky because I work with children on the ground and I've been doing this for so long, um, that, that nobody understands that to know what it's really like and to fix problems, you have to ask the people that you're trying to fix the problems for. And you can't fix the problems without them. Um, and because, like I said, I've been there with, on the ground with the children who've now grown up, you know, families and stuff, and I think I have their trust and, you know, and I don't break too many promises. Um, so there's a certain amount of trust that comes with it and they will tell. So a lot of the work that I do is based on reassurances and referrals and mm. trust. People say what's so different about the work that you do, you have the network, I say it's trust. And people trust that I'll do the right thing or try to do the right thing. I don't always do the right thing. That's number one. Number two... Um, I'm, I moan a lot I crumble a lot and I put a lot of things on social media mm. and I tell stories and, mm. and people follow me and follow Zara's stories and she's 14 right I mean people knew when I, was, I first got her um, you know and I first adopted and they've gone through with me through court and everything else so it's a long process and I think so and I've been I think consistent in the work that I do I don't jump to women's 
issues or whatever. And or if I go to like food distribution, it's because it's an organic thing. I didn't plan it. So I guess this this it's honest. Mm. Um, yeah, I mess up. Yeah, so I try very hard when I mess up to say I messed up. Mm. Um, so I guess that's it. I don't know. I don't have a plan. And you know, and bad or good, I don't have a plan. How important do you think it is to communicate clearly what you do? But you know, everybody tells me. You know, one of my friends told me she's like, you know, Tini, you have lots of great ideas, and you have this network, but you don't have structure. And it's true. I don't have structure. I have no plan. I don't plan for anything more than a week. And maybe this is because of the trauma I felt when my dad died, and the whole rug got. Pulled from under me, and, and so I don't plan. I used to when my dad died. I was so in such a horrible place. I would take time as minutes. Literally, I started with one minute a day, then ten minutes, then fifteen. I'm up to seventeen years later, one week. I don't plan ahead because anything can happen, and maybe that's my fear of trauma of having things move and anything. And and because and because I'm for all the. Petrousness for all the, you know, being impulsive enough. I am careful because I have so many responsibilities to children. So I don't make promises and plan one year in advance. I'll tell you what I truly believe for today, for this week. But next week it could change, and I will tell you. But I don't have a plan. <laughs> I have no agenda. I wish I did, because then maybe I would be more structured. But I'm not. Yeah, I know. I am. I would like to refer to myself as this chaotic mess that just grows and tries very hard not to be negative. How how do you think so much of result and things got built from this chaotic mess? Trust. How how do you think people can build trust better in the sector itself? I think right? you need Someone... to keep the promises you say you're going to keep. Don't mm-hmm. make promises you can't. And start small, but think big. So mm-hmm. I don't have big grand plan but i know my end goal is that all children have a great childhood and they all have access to school and they have all access to health and they do these things that's my big plan how i'm going to get there i have no structure i don't know i'll just do it one week at a time and i'll try to do which scares people because because i'm like i don't know but you just do it just do it okay that's very interesting um the other part um that you do very well is basically fundraising Mm. I'm trained in... to do that. Ah, okay. How how so? How how I actually was trained. Or... I actually had a mentor who was one of the best fundraisers in New York, who actually taught me. So what she did was she threw me in the deep end, made me chairman of the the junior boards. So it's junior board member for public colors, junior b- 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 uh, junior board chairman for the kitchen. I was junior board member for Big Apple Circus. She just threw me in the deep end. She's like, go get money. That's oh. how I started. Okay, then can you tell us some of the insights? Network, okay, build so the network. Back to network. Yeah, it comes to network, doing your research. There's a lot of reading that goes into it. There is a structure in that fundraising. So I, I think I learned in terms of structure well the principles on fundraising from my work with UNICEF. Um, you know, talking about how you do plan, you know, mind map, um, who it is, what it is you want to to raise money for, who are the kind of people that you look at, how do you look at, you know, corporate networks and websites and stuff to see who does what. But then I take it a step further. So I used to call myself the money detec- detective. Um, so basically I would mind map and start with one person 
and you know, and this is the person I thought would match with the the money funds that we'd try to raise for, and then try to build a network and see who their friends are, who their their colleagues are at work, um, the kind of other work that they do, and then build that network. And it ends up being like this algae amoeba kind of like structure where, you know, and then you try to, you know, the bad word is called. People say it's like gold digging, but it's not gold digger. It's basically being a money detector, and it's not for me. I keep reassuring myself that it's not for me. It's for the cause, right? So, And then I end up finding out somehow, and a lot of prayers. I promise you, it's a mixture of like prayers and the universe, and if your heart is true, I swear to God, and the, the mind mapping, well, mind map everything. Oh, I see. So... If if you're going to give advice to someone who is starting out and do say, your research, do your research, build a mind map. Um, so you're trying to raise money for poverty. Yeah. What kind of poverty? Which communities? Where do you start? Right. Say you start in Chowkit. What are the corporates around you in mm. Chowkit? Right. So there used to be Sam Darby, and there used to be PWTC, and you know, right across the street is. Kenny Hills, right across the street is Bang Nagara, right across the street is, you know, Jalantin Ismail, then you have all these malls. And so, so you map out the area, you map out who's there, and you map out who has the resources to be able to give you, right? What are the government agencies around in that area? DPKLs around that area. Um, you know, and then you have, you know, all these different people. And then you start looking, and then you start going on the website, so you start doing your research and, and find out how you can get to know the right person and always find decision makers, not the person who can't make decisions. With decision makers, the answer's almost straight away. And you should have a mix of people. So some corporate, some individuals, some whatever, some, you know, group things, um, some public community builders, some different, and then, and I think partnerships and collaborations are even more important now than before because we don't have enough resources. And then look at the area and what they're trying to do from an economic standpoint, from a health standpoint, from whatever, and then build on that. But this is 42 years of work I've done, yeah, because I did the same in New York. And this is, I learned from these people. This is who's interested in education. This is who's interested in, you know, school choice. This is interested who, with these kids, you know, East Harlem, West Harlem, you know, downtown, whatever it is, Brooklyn, Bed-Stuy, whatever. Then you start looking, right? Who are the community builders? Who are the construction work people? You know, who are building buildings? Who's doing? It? And once you have this mind map, mm-hmm. what do you? I do actually with have it? a notebook on my books. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what do you do with it? How do you start getting connected to these people? I put a word. I ask my friends, "Do you know this person? Do you know this person?" And and in the in the world of social media, everybody's on Twitter. Mm. Everybody's on Twitter or everybody's on Instagram. Mm-hmm. So you know, what I do and. There is no room for being shy. Just ask. That's the best advice I can give you. Always ask. Do not ask. Want to know? Ask. Most people will not say no, especially if it's a good cause. You also need to put yourself out there to give talks on uh, whatever your okay. content expects. What are your current favorite books? I'm reading on food security. So those are the, the textbooks. Um, not textbooks. Those are the serious books that I have. Um, and for the fiction books, I'm reading um, a lot of Japanese writers, um, mostly on values and nostalgia, like you know, in the 50s, 60s. Like, I love I love science fiction and stuff. I can't pronounce the name, so I'm not saying who the authors. <laughs> but I'm reading a lot of Japanese author books now that's translated to English. Are there any particular ones that you 
can think of and you can recommend? Um, I'm reading one on green technology right now to look at ways in which we can address food security by looking at, at um, alternate um, food sources and also food, yeah, food resources. Okay. It's called the Blue Revolution, mm-hmm. not green. The Blue, Blue Revolution. Looking at, wa- looking at water. So it's by Nicholas P. Sullivan, and it's about harvesting and farming seafood um, for the information age, but it's really about using the sea to look at food resources. We're I think you'll really like that. We're going to put this into the show notes as well so that yes. people can find this book. I'm reading Nora Ephron because I love her books. Warfare at the Yorgi. Nora Ephron. Who wrote, who did, you know, um, Sleepless in Seattle, oh, You've Got Mail. She did right. all those. These are, these are fictions. Yes, those are fiction books. But we're semi-fiction. I've got Blue Ocean Strategy because I've never read it. I have Food Security, which I'm still in the middle of reading. I'm reading like Food okay. Security, Farming and Climate Change to 2050. I'm reading Vulnerable Children because we're looking at alternative community-based, community-led Shelters for children in institutions, which we started a coalition. Yeah, mm. so I'm jumping around. You've been in the sector for a long time. Right? Mm, I'm a see. dinosaur. <laughs> I actually have like Jurassic Park theme song playing in my room. <laughs> <laughs> to, yeah. to some people, you are like the OG. Right? My the OG. Uh, What's the OG? Uh, the original. <laughs> the, you know the, the dinosaur. <laughs> na, 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 na. Yeah. Now with. So much of uh, experience in the sector, so many people you've met. How do you find inspiration nowadays? Like, who do you look up to? So many people. Mm. Even the lady who sells pisang goreng on the side, who doesn't have much money, she sells pisang goreng, she donate, gave 20 ringgit to help children. You can find inspiration mm. from anybody and everybody. Or the lady who says to me, saya tidak malu, sebab saya minta bukan untuk saya, untuk anak saya. That's pretty Ballsy. It is, it is. To end this, I would like to ask you if you have any projects you're working on that you want to tell our listeners, right? Or is there some of your work that they can, they can support? Yeah, sure. So we're working on the food security ecosystem and food distribution. So I'm trying to see how to get everybody to come in, including the general public to come in. It's not just a matter of giving money, but time and expertise. So wait. Because, because I'm pitching, so I haven't told you yet, so we're pitching for, to get this done. Um, I'm working on children's health, which is ba- basically trying to build a virtual hospital for the poor children, including those who are nomination, which Madias Gif, which I've been working on, and I just got the okay um, verbally to work with Ministry of Health um, so that we can pay for sick children who cannot afford. I'm working on alternative um, shelters for children in institutions that need safer place, a more healthy place to grow up. Um, so we started a loose coalition of NGOs working on uh, looking alternative care, which includes also foster care. We're looking at building a virtual network as well of um, for children who have fallen out of the traditional full school system to, to be able to go to university and to look at life skills. So there's lots of people we're working with, including people in the UN in New York, I'm looking to raise money for childcare, obviously, because we're looking to new centers. Looking for artists and graffiti artists and musicians and anybody who think they can work with children. Um, of course, there's a screening process and stuff, but we also want to build that whole volunteer management, the volunteer um, pool of people with expertise and time 
who want to help children. And I think, you know, this isn't the time to be shy. This isn't the time to be territorial. This is the time to collaborate and coordinate. And I think it, it really, for me, it feels like it needs to be all hands on deck uh, because we need, to, we need to do better. We need to do much better than what we're doing now. So really, I, I cannot do the segregation politics uh, stuff. We just can't afford it. Here, here. Mm. Right? Yeah. Uh, thank you so much, Tini. Yeah, no, thank you. Now you've got me like thinking. Mm. No, <laughs> no, every time I sit down with you and, and, and hear about, you know, what you're currently doing, I would always get inspired. I always feel like, oh, I should be doing more. You know, I should be thinking about. Yeah, and I'm terrible with structure. I really am. I'm really like, oh, you're. Yeah. That's, why, that's why we're looking at working together more. Right? Yeah. Uh, so looking forward to that. Yes. Um, Thank you so much for spending so much time. Not at all a pleasure. Doing this. Pleasure. It was a pleasure for me. I mean, I've, I've learned a lot of new things as well. Um, if people are to support your work, where they can, they, can they find website, you? www.yck.org.my But if you want and they want to get in touch with you, you can always give pass them my number as well. Yeah. Oh, and, and can they follow you on social media? Where are you active on? Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. So I'm on Twitter um, and, and it's Teeny Z, T I N I Z. On Instagram, I'm Teeny Zainuddin with 1D and the number 9. Um, on Facebook, I'm Teeny Zainuddin. On LinkedIn, I'm Teeny Zainuddin. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. We also put all this on the, in the show notes so that sure. people can find it easily. Sure. And with that, thank you so much, Teeny, thank you for, for having being me with not us. At all. I had a great time and thank you for listening to all listeners and I'll see you again in the next episode of the Game Changers for Good Podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Giving Hub. Have you ever wondered how to maximize the money you donate to charity? Or if there are any other ways besides giving money that can more effectively help out a charity? Have you ever asked where you can find a charity that is effective in what they do to maximize your contribution? GivingHub is an online platform to help you manage your charitable giving. You can choose to give to a non-profit organization, a social enterprise, or a charitable project created by volunteers. You can also give in the form of money or volunteer your professional skills to a matching charitable organization. The GivingHub platform aims to help you give more effectively and to the most impactful organization. Visit the platform to find out how you can do this at www.givinghub.asia.